All right, another week and another edition of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college football. This is the college football show by the fan for the fan. This is episode number 21. Today's Friday, August the 11th, 2023. And remember, folks, we drop new episodes of the show every single Friday. Today is going to be our Big Ten Conference preview. I was very happy with the overwhelming support that the ACC preview generated. Got a lot of interactions on Instagram, got a lot of replies on Twitter, got a lot of everybody's takes, which is the point of this show. We are encouraging healthy conversation and debate around the biggest topics in the sport. But today we're going to shift gears to the Big Ten. Just a few quick announcements before we do get underway, though, folks. Subscribe to the show. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite platforms. That includes YouTube now. We are on YouTube at The Student Section, a college football show. If you want to interact with the show, follow us on Instagram at Student Section CFB. And if you like the more written style of content, you can go ahead and check out our blog at thestudentsection.net, where we upload new blog posts every single day. All of these conference previews are written on there. So with all that being said, I don't want to waste too much time here because last week's episode was over 40 minutes in length. So we are going to jump right into our preview of the Big Ten. We've got a lot of content this week, including power rankings, all Big Ten teams, storylines, the state of the conference, biggest games to watch, you name it. We got it. Let's do it, folks, and jump into our Big Ten preview. All right, so as I mentioned, we're not wasting any time at all this week. Jumping into things, just going to give a quick rundown of how these preview episodes are usually structured. First, we have the state of the conference where we basically talk all things business, all things money. We detail where the conference is at from, or I shouldn't say from a standpoint, but in the grand scheme of things. Then we've got our three biggest storylines of the conference for this coming season. We're going to follow that up with our four or five games that I think are going to shape the conference and we'll preview each one in depth. That'll be followed by the preseason all Big Ten teams. I've got offense, defense, special teams, you name it, honorable mentions. Talk about some of my favorite players in the conference. And then we round things out with the longest segment of the show, that being the power rankings. So state of the conference here in the Big Ten, and it's not going to be as morbid as things were last week with the ACC because the Big Ten's in a much better place. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that. And I know a lot of people remember this as it was fairly recent, but there was a time when the Big Ten was this small league that was constrained very strictly by its geographical borders. It had this Midwest reputation, smash mouth football, four yards in a cloud of dust. It had a clear, distinctive identity, whether that's location, play style, all of the above, you name it. And just about 10 years ago, 2020 or 2014, I should say, they sort of start to embrace this manifest destiny. I wrote about it on the blog. That's what I called it, where they expand their borders, both geographically and stylistically. They go to the East Coast. They pick up Rutgers in Maryland. That's almost 10 years ago now. And a couple years ago or last year, I should say it was announced that They're adding USC and UCLA. Then obviously a couple weeks ago, it's Washington and Oregon. So the Big Ten has a foothold 
in four major time zones across the United States of America. What they also have is a good spread of, again, I'm going to use the word styles again here. The Big Ten is such a diverse league. It's, it's such a poly play stylistic league, if that makes any sense. There are so many different styles. There are so many different ways of playing the game. And that's why I think in terms of media and in terms of fan appeal, the Big Ten is going to have a lot of draw with fans, especially when you factor in the seven year, seven billion dollar media rights deal with platforms like Fox, CBS, NBC, Peacock, you name it. So the Big Ten's in a really healthy place. Like I said, you don't need me to tell you that. And they've got a rookie commissioner, too. And um, Tony Petiti, where he takes over the job not even a couple months ago after Kevin Warren steps down. And granted, he did step into a pretty favorable situation, to put it a certain way. He's already started to carve out his own path, put his fingerprints on the conference, and he's now brought them to where they are today, which is probably 1A behind the SEC. Because, hey, in the end, nobody knows whether the Big Ten's going to be able to compete with the SEC on the field or not. But one thing's for sure going to be very hard to compete with the Big Ten in terms of finances, given where their money's at. It's going to be very hard to compete with them in terms of reach, in terms of fan access, in terms of fan engagement because of their locations. Now, the Big Ten is sort of I don't want to say this because I don't want to put this into the universe, but we're getting to a point in college football. And granted, the Big 12's actually done a good job to try and offset this, but for a while there in the whole realignment craze, I, I was really scared that college football was going to get to a place where there were just these two mega conferences and we basically had the NFL on our hands. And the Big Ten is certainly set to be one of those leagues if that indeed happens. But for right now, we're in a great place. So no more boring money finances, league mapping, geogra- uh, geography talk. We're going to jump into the biggest Big Ten storylines on the field in 2023 because that's what this show is about. We're talking football. And my first storyline when I wrote about these on the blog, I simply put the subheading as, is this the year? So in case you don't know, the South dominates college football. I know. Shocking, right? 16 of the last 17 national champions have come from south of the Mason-Dixon line, with Ohio State's 2015 title being the lone disruptor of that trend. Georgia's continuing to reel in loaded recruiting classes, even though they put record numbers of players in the league. Alabama's not going anywhere, despite what many people think. So you start to ask yourself, when is somebody going to start knocking on the door, start, you know, maybe giving the SEC a little bit of pressure and not allowing these dynasties to operate unchecked? And I think if there's ever a year for this to happen, it's certainly this year when you look at how top heavy the Big Ten is and how I'm not going to use the term good yet, but how highly rated their top three teams are when you look at the potential suitors for the title in Michigan, Ohio State and Penn State. It's going to be survival of the fittest in this conference because you're going to have to win two or three top five caliber games in order to make it out of this league alive, whether that is Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State or somehow someone else. So. This is probably the deepest the Big Ten has been in a while in pure terms of teams that I genuinely believe that can contend for a title. And that's going to kind of segue uh, segue me into my next point or my next storyline when we get there. But I think if there was ever a year that someone was going to really stick it to Georgia 
or Alabama or the SEC in general, this is it. And that, like I said, leads me into my next storyline, new blood in the Big Ten, because as I mentioned, for the past decade or so, there's been one contender in the Big Ten. That's been Ohio State, a decade of unprecedented dominance, five conference titles in eight years, a national title, several playoff appearances. But now there is a new bully in town and you're going to see when my power rankings roll around. I don't think there's any surprise about who's going to be number one because that new bully is Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. Back-to-back wins over Ohio State by an average of 18.5 points. They've rushed for 250-plus yards in the second half of both of those, if I'm not mistaken. They've claimed the last two Big Ten championships, and one has to start to wonder how much more punishment their rivals to the South can take before an appetite for change begins to grow. Ohio State is in a very similar spot, or Ohio State fans, I should say, are in a very similar spot that Michigan fans were with Jim Harbaugh in the opening few years of his tenure. Because for the longest time with Michigan, the narrative was, okay, you can win all the small games, you can go 11-1, beating up on the Illinois and the Minnesotas of the world. Sorry, Illinois and Minnesota, I just use you as examples. But when are you going to win the big one? When are you going to get over the hump? And I think Ohio State fans are starting to get there with Ryan Day. I'm not suggesting he's on the hot seat. I'm not suggesting he's not a phenomenal football coach. but There comes a time and fans are very impatient, especially when you have the pedigree that Ohio State has and you won a national title not even a decade ago. You have to start to put a little pressure on your coach where you're saying, all right, when are you going to finally win the big one? When are you going to get this monkey off your back? Because right now, Jim Harbaugh has his number. And for that reason, Michigan is my top dog in the Big Ten heading into this year. We'll talk about him more in the power rankings. My third and final storyline heading into the season is all about the Big Ten West, the West Side woes. I wrote about this last year on the blog because, hey, after Michigan beat Purdue last year, the Big Ten East is now a flawless 9-0 in championship games since the uh, since the conference's most recent realignment back in 2014. That might have a better chance than ever to change this year. I'm not saying it's going to, but when you look at what teams in the Big Ten West were able to do, Iowa reloaded their offense, or I shouldn't say reloaded, stocked their offense and paid mind to it in the offseason for really the first time. Add Cade McNamara, add guys like Eric All, improve your already great offensive line you know you're going to have in all-world defense. Wisconsin goes ahead, brings in Luke Fickle. Illinois, great squad coming out of the West, big physical team. Minnesota always can't count them out. So you start to wonder... Is this the year where the Big Ten West has been the deepest it's ever been? I certainly think so. I think the this is a better year than any for someone to not beat Michigan, Ohio State, or Penn State. I'm not saying that's necessarily uh, necessarily going to happen, but just challenge them. And I think that one of these teams in the Big Ten West, like Wisconsin or Iowa, because of the schedule they're going to play, has a real fast track to say a double digit win season because they don't have to deal with the Big Ten East. So. For that reason, I think this might have the best possible chance of being the year for the Big Ten West. Again, not saying it's going to happen, but there are some really strong sides on that half of the conference. So with that being said, those are my three main storylines for the Big Ten heading into this year. I know there's so many more that we're going to talk about over the course of this pod, but now we're going to jump into four games I think will shape the Big Ten. Let's do it. And the first of those games is a phenomenal segue from 
our last storyline because it's October the 14th, Wisconsin at Iowa. And I put this game here because, as I said, this is a early enough in the season kind of game where you're going to figure out very quickly which team in the Big Ten West is able to contend. This is going to be one of the few really tough tests on that side of the conference on either of these teams schedules. So the team who wins this game is obviously going to have that inside track to the championship game. And they're going to let us know sooner rather than later in the season, whether or not they're ready to contend with the big dogs. Moving on a week later, October the 21st, Penn State at Ohio State. This one is pretty darn self-explanatory. Two of the teams that are kind of battling, trying to be that squad that unseats Michigan and both of them are going to have a chance. But early enough in the season, again, with this game where you're going to get an inside track, you're going to get a leg up in the standings. You're going to be able to breathe a little bit easier as the season draws on. This is a massive, massive game right around the midpoint of the season that can't be missed. It's in Columbus. Can't wait for this one. Then you fast forward a couple weeks towards the back half of the season. November the 11th, you have Michigan at Penn State. Again, this is going to be because of how light Michigan's out-of-conference schedule is and because of the way their conference games have been structured. This might be Michigan's first real, true top 10 test of the season, and it comes with just three weeks until the regular season's over. So maybe, just maybe, Penn State's able to lure this Michigan team into a false sense of security after they presumably steamroll their way to an 8-0, 9-0 record by this game. I don't know exactly how many games will be played by then, but in Happy Valley, they're going to be looking for revenge. Michigan won their last one there on a last-minute touchdown. There's going to be that rivalry element there because we all know how talented Penn State is. And again, if Ohio State is their prove-it game and they prove to everyone that they can contend in this game, this has the potential to be a top-five matchup, a top-three matchup, if you will. So on November the 11th, I have Michigan at Penn State as a can't-miss game. A can't miss game. Even if Penn State has a loss or two by then, still going to be right in the heat of the playoff list, uh, playoff race, I should say. And then finally, my final game that you need to watch. It's the biggest game on the college football calendar for the past couple years. November the 25th, Ohio State at Michigan. Do I even need to explain myself on how massive this game is? Last year, it was 11-0 versus 11-0. Two and three in the country did not disappoint. If you're a football fan, a sports fan, a college football fan in general, I'm not even going to explain to you why this game is so important. You've got to have it circled on the calendar because it's going to be what shapes this conference. Almost nine times out of ten, the winner of this game wins the league. All right, all Big Ten teams time. This is usually the part of the episode that stirs up the most controversy. We've got 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense, and three special teamers. Sound off on Instagram, on Twitter, with who you think got snubbed. Leading things off, quarterback J.J. McCarthy, Michigan. Now, this wasn't a very hard one. Although I do think very highly of J.J., and, you know, Coming off a very solid sophomore season, 22 touchdowns, five interceptions, top 15 nationally in QBR. It's not going to be very hard for him to be the best quarterback in the Big Ten this year. Ohio State, first-year quarterback, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown. Penn State, first-year quarterback, Drew Aller. I can go on and on. The only real notable returning quarterbacks in this Big Ten, you've got Talia Tungavailoa, 
You've got Cade McNamara, who's coming off an injury year. So it's not going to be very hard for J.J. to really ascend to that upper echelon of not only Big Ten quarterbacks, but national quarterbacks this year. As long as he takes the necessary steps forward, like they all expect him to do, he will be fine. My two running backs, Blake Corum, Michigan, uh, Braylon Allen, Wisconsin. Running back was a really, really tough one because obviously Corum and Allen, in my opinion, are two the two top running backs in the entire Big Ten. I don't think there's much of an argument there, but there were just so many big name guys I had to leave off the list here. Uh, Nick Singleton, Katron Allen from Penn State. Absolutely dynamic duo there. It, it was so hard to narrow this down to two guys. You've got uh, Corum's teammate, Donovan Edwards, Michigan. Just so many marquee guys I had to leave off the list at running back. So while these two are the cutting away best two running backs in the Big Ten, Absolutely no disrespect to all those other guys. This conference is loaded at the position. My wide receivers, the Ohio State duo, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka, followed up by Isaiah Williams of Illinois. Could have very easily gone with three Ohio State wide receivers here, but Isaiah Williams is one of the best route runners in all of college football. Had to give him his flowers here. Tight end, I've got Brevin Span Ford from Minnesota. Thought about uh, Colston Loveland from Michigan here. Thought about a couple guys here, but... I think Brevin Spanford is the most complete pass catcher and blocker at the tight end position in the conference. Now we get to the offensive line, and this is where things get interesting. My two tackles are Olu Fashanu, Penn State, and Jack Nelson, Wisconsin. But then the interior defensive line, Zach Zinter, Trevor Keegan, Drake Nugent. Three Michigan men on that interior offensive line. That team is going to be running a lot between the tackles this year. Back-to-back Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. They return three starters and bring in the best center in the transfer portal in Drake Nugent. I thought I even thought about Ladarius Henderson, their new tackle out of Arizona State, but Nelson and Fashanu were just too good to pass up. But Michigan was closer than people think to putting five guys on this first-team All-10 offensive line. Let me tell you, moving on to the defense now, my two interior defenders are going to be Jerzon Newton from Illinois and Chris Jenkins from Michigan. My two edge rushers are Chop Robinson, Penn State, JT Tuimolowal from Ohio State. Two guys that are going to go very high in the first round of the upcoming NFL draft as long as they have the seasons we expect them to have. My three linebackers, man. This is a great linebacking core. The Big Ten is absolutely loaded with great linebackers. Junior Colson, Tommy Eichenberg, and Abdul Carter from Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, respectively. That is a phenomenal trio of tacklers let me tell you all three of those guys I can easily see making first team all-american this year my two corners or my three corners I should say I've got Will Johnson from Michigan Kalen King from Penn State and Cooper DeGene from Iowa and rounding things out at safety Rod Moore Michigan thought about a couple guys there thought about uh, one of the two Ohio State's dynamic safeties Penn State's got some dogs in the secondary but ultimately Rod Moore seasoned veteran I like him there Quickly to the special teams, Iowa dominates with Drew Stevens, the kicker, and Tory Taylor, the punter. He got a lot of work in last year. And my returner is A.J. Henning from Northwestern, the Michigan transfer. This is where things get interesting now. If you look at the All-Big Ten selections by team, I got Michigan at nine players on the first team. Ohio State and Penn State tied at four apiece. Iowa at three. Illinois at two, Wisconsin at two, Minnesota one, 
Northwestern won. So I said the Big Ten was a top-heavy league. The top dog has nine players on the first team, and there's only eight teams out of the 14 who managed to get a player on first-team all-conference out of 25 guys I put on the list. So that's really just a testament to how loaded the top half of this Big Ten conference is, whether it's Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. They combined to put 17 of the 25 guys on that first team. Just ridiculous. So with all that out of the way, now it's time to move into everybody's favorite segment, the longest segment of the episode, and that is power rankings. Big 10 power rankings, 1 through 14. We're going to give a bit more insight on the teams at the top and then kind of narrow it out as things get towards the bottom. Leading things off, number one, you know who's going to be there. It's Michigan. For the first time, In the history of me doing this pod, Michigan's number one in the Big Ten. And if there's ever a time for Michigan to take that next step and win that first national title in a quarter century, that time is now. Despite that brief suspension looming, Harbaugh's going to return what is by far the most talented and experienced roster of his eight-year tenure. And you couple that with a lot of his main contenders, whether it be Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, going through a transitional period at the quarterback position. The chips fall perfectly for Michigan to make a run at the title. This team's built from the trenches out. They've got three starters back from an offensive line that's won back-to-back Joe Moore awards, and they get the transfer portal's top center in Drake Nugent, one of the top tackles in Ladarius Henderson. This is a star-studded offensive line, going to be the heavy favorite to three-peat for the Joe Moore award. And then you look at who's running behind them. It's the backfield tandem, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, 2,500 yards and 28 touchdowns last year between them, and both of them were held back by injuries at points in that season. So a fully healthy campaign for the two of them could be one of the best of all time. 5.6 yards a carry for the Wolverines a season ago. That was fourth in the nation. And I got news for you. For, for how much everyone's talking about this offensive line, the defensive line isn't that far behind. They've got three seniors back and all Big Ten standout Chris Jenkins. He's going to be in the middle. He's turned a lot of heads as not only an NFL prospect for the upcoming draft, but one of the best, the most versatile interior defenders in this class. Everything on this roster just falls so perfectly into place, except for one that's kind of a loose end, and that's J.J. McCarthy. He's an elite quarterback. He's one of the top 10, 15 arms in the nation, talented, versatile, going to make a difference at the NFL level. But this 2023 season is going to hinder on his development for Michigan. Every other position is seemingly falling into place except for the receiver spot and the depth at cornerback. Other than that, Michigan is an absolute all-star team. So the only thing that I can foresee holding them back is if he has an underwhelming season. But the only thing that's going to push them to the next level in the same breath is him having a superb season. Michigan is going to go as far as J.J. McCarthy can take them. That is my prediction for them in 2023. But top to bottom, this is the best roster in the Big Ten, and he has a large part to play in that. If Michigan was number one, then number two should be pretty darn predictable. That's going to be the Ohio State Buckeyes. 11-2 last year. There are only two losses to Michigan and Georgia, two teams that are in my preseason top two. So, as I said earlier, Ohio State's in a bit of a unique spot here because after a decade of pure dominance over the Big Ten, and even going into last year, despite losing to Michigan the year before, 
I think they were still the heavy favorite in the conference going into the season. They're going to enter this year in a bit of an unfamiliar role as they're now the underdog. They're now chasing someone else's tail. They've got question marks at the quarterback position. They've got question marks on the offensive line. But one thing that should shore all of that up and essentially do its best to mitigate many of the potential question marks this team has on offense is that absolutely dominant receiving core. As I mentioned earlier, Harrison and Ibuka, it's the, re- it's the reason they've got two guys on the first team, all Big Ten at the receiver spot. They are going to make life so much easier on whoever inevitably wins that starting quarterback job. Same for the tailback group, Trevion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Dallin Hayden also played a role down the stretch last season. Pretty much every other skill position on this team is absolutely loaded except for that quarterback spot. But this team is so they're set up so perfectly to accommodate a young quarterback. So I don't see the new quarterback having that much trouble. I think the question is more so how long it takes him to get acclimated. It's a matter of when and not if, if that makes sense. The defense is a bit more topsy-turvy because they have the pieces. They have elite tacklers like Tommy Eichenberg. They have elite pass rushers like Tui Moloau. They have a coordinator in Jim Knowles who was streaky last year. I think that's a perfect word to describe how he called that defense because there were two, three-week stretches where you were like, my goodness, this is the best defense in America. They're dialing up blitzes at the perfect times. Their, their, Their secondary is absolutely shut down. Their pass rush, unstoppable on its own. They were rushing three, four, and getting sacks around the middle of the season, especially against Penn State. So this defense is very interesting, and I think they're going to be very, very streaky. Unless Jim Knowles pulls something out of his back pocket here, gives us a card we've never seen before, doesn't make the mistakes. He makes amends for a couple of the blunders that Ohio State fans had a bone to pick with towards the end of the year. The talent is absolutely there for them to steamroll their way to a playoff to beat Michigan. It's not a matter of talent for this Ohio State team. It, it will, it'll never be a matter of talent, barring something cataclysmic. The question again, as we said earlier in the show, can this staff pull things together, get the right pieces coming together at the right times? Time will tell. At number three, we got Penn State. And this is where things start to get a little bit interesting because I'm going to talk about this in my top 25 reveal. Penn State on paper is a top five roster in the country, arguably. But the issue with them being in this conference is they have two of the biggest hurdles in the sport to clear in order to get where they want to go this year. I I talked about earlier how Michigan is in a phenomenal place right now because all their main rivals are sort of in a transitional period of sorts when they're at their best. And for Penn State, it's the opposite. When they're at their best, their two main rivals look to be at their strongest. They both went 11-0 heading into the game they played against last year. So Penn State, man, you look at this roster top to bottom. The only significant question marks are at the quarterback and receiver positions. The secondary, outstanding. The pass rush, one of the best in the country. The linebacking core, the tackling, phenomenal. The offensive line, going to do big favors for the new quarterback in Drew Aller. Same thing. There are two running backs, Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, going to do the kid tremendous favors. So I'm going to say the same thing I said with Ohio State, where it's very easy for a young quarterback to come into this kind of situation and make a difference, especially because they have an earlier 
early season schedule than Ohio State. They've got a couple FCS opponents in there, low D1. So it should be very, very easy for Drew Aller to get acclimated. He should be in peak form by the middle of the season with all the tools around him. James Franklin's got his two top coordinators back in Yurkic and Diaz, the two guys he wants at those spots. Everything sets up nicely for Penn State from their standpoint, except for the teams they have to play against this year. But this is easily one of Franklin's more, uh, more talented rosters. They've got a bunch of bona fide studs on that team. We talked about so many of them on the all Big Ten teams, whether it's Abdul Carter, Chop Robinson, Kalen King at corner, and then those two superstar running backs. Very excited to see if Penn State can rise to the occasion this year and match the, the conference's two powers. All right, so the top three were kind of obvious, but now this is where things get a bit shaky. And I could really see any of these teams from four to seven jumping each other, beating each other, finishing in any given order. So in that order, it's number four, Wisconsin, number five, Iowa, number six, Maryland, number seven, Illinois. Iowa and Wisconsin are very interchangeable for me because they're kind of two teams in very similar spots in a sense that they're undergoing a bit of a cultural facelift, trying to change their identity. We'll start with Wisconsin. So it's year one of the Luke Fickle era. He brings in, as Deion Sanders calls it, he brings his luggage with him, a whole class of transfers, revamps the receiver core, brings in Tanner Mordecai to play quarterback. Granted, the offensive line is still kind of static and they still have Braylon Allen, but it's going to be very weird watching Wisconsin essentially play with an identity that is not their typical ground and pound four yards in a cloud of dust style of offense. He has completely revamped this team. He's got a pair of new play callers, but this team's strength is going to be in what they were good at last year. Going to the well, they've got phenomenal offensive linemen on this team. They've got experienced tacklers at the second level. They're going to be among the most physical teams in the big 10. One of the few teams in college football where I can really look at them from a physicality standpoint and say, wow, this is a team that maybe can contend with Michigan on a physical level. They've got some of the best tacklers in the country. That core is led by middle linebacker Maimon Njongmeta. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Wisconsin fans, you can correct me. But in terms of a technical aspect, in terms of the direction that the Big Ten is going in stylistically, as I mentioned earlier, Wisconsin is now starting to get acclimated, trying to keep up with the Joneses. They bring in Tanner Mordecai, a guy guy who's got 7,000 yards and 72 touchdowns to his name. They add some standouts at wide receiver. I believe it was like five or six uh, portal receivers in total. You couple that with Braylon Allen and a weak Big Ten West schedule, a strong offensive line. No reason this team cannot win double-digit games this year. I think it's just going to be a matter of how quickly they can get acclimated to that new style of play, how quickly they can fit into it like a glove, Luke Fickle, as he said. And then right behind them is Iowa, who, like I said, is a team in a very similar situation, sort of trying to revolutionize that offense by bringing in Cade McNamara, getting guys like Eric All. They retain a lot of that dominant offensive line, and you know the defense is going to be among the best in the country. The question is, how quickly can all these moving parts come together on offense? If these puzzle pieces fit together sooner rather than later, you're going to see Iowa have a successful season. Number six, you've got a Maryland team who, when they're on on offense, they're one of the fastest paced units in the country. They're one of the most versatile, dynamic units in the country, obviously led by 
Talia Tungavailoa. And then in the seventh spot, you have Illinois, who, when they're on, is a complete polar opposite to them. They're physical. They like to play their game in the trenches. That's the Bielema style. Just graduated the phenomenal running back in Chase Brown, trying to reload on that offensive and defensive line with a couple transfers. Maryland and Illinois, when these two teams play, it's going to be like watching football teams from the 90s play against a football team from 2023. With that being said, though, this Illinois offense is not to be slept on, mainly because of Isaiah Williams out wide. You can do so much with him at that wide receiver spot. And then defensively, you've got Jazan Newton on the D-line, who's possibly going to be an All-American player if he has the caliber of season that we expect him to have. He is a physical freak. He is a specimen. I'm excited to see what he can do this year. Number eight, we've got Nebraska, who is in kind of a similar boat to teams like Wisconsin and Iowa, although I do think they are a year behind in terms of the rebuild. But Matt Rule's putting something together there. They've got one of the best home field advantages in the conference. They're versatile. They're athletic. They're quick on the defensive side. They've got a couple of really unique talents at that second level and in, and in that secondary. A couple guys off the edge that I really like. The defense is certainly going to be much improved, especially with the additions that Matt Rule has made. So next up, I have Minnesota. And I really did want to make this team climb the rankings a little bit, but there's just too many question marks on offense at the quarterback spot. Obviously Tanner Morgan's gone. Mo Ibrahim's gone. They've got Ethan Calicomanis under center. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And Sean Tyler in the backfield. If things go the way we expect them to in camp out wide, Chris Ottman, Bell, Daniel Jackson, they're going to be solid receivers for this offense to work with, but there's just so many unproven pieces on the offensive side of the ball for this Minnesota team. I really think they can leapfrog Nebraska in terms of the power rankings, but in terms of getting past teams like Illinois and Maryland, I genuinely don't know how they're going to do it. I don't think the roster's talented enough. I don't think they have the necessary experience to take those late season games. And the depth is certainly a big question for Minnesota. Next up, number 10, I've got Purdue. And I thought about putting Michigan State here because Michigan State and Purdue, I think, are really close in terms of talent. But this is a team a year ago that went six and three in conference, won the division, lost to Michigan in the championship game, but now they lose Jeff Brom. They lose Aiden O'Connell, who was really the engine behind that offense, and they have to start from scratch once again. The the defensive coordinator, Ryan Walters, comes in. He brings in Hudson Card to play quarterback. Tailback Devin Mockamy, he's back after 960-plus yards and nine touchdowns last year. The offense should be on par with what we saw last year, but there's so many holes in the secondary on this team. They had a lot of trouble tackling in that championship game against Michigan, so I put them at the 10 spot. Coming in now at number 11 is Michigan State, and it's crazy to think that this was a team, this was a team that just two years ago in 2021 was playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, was 11-2 on the season, had a Heisman hopeful at the running back spot, and after Peyton Thorne leaves for Auburn now, Keon Coleman heads out for Florida State. 20 players leave the program. This team is tumbling towards the bottom half of the conference. Mel Tucker, I don't necessarily know if he's on the hot seat because he's got a $95 million contract with a ridiculous buyout there, but there's certainly concerns in that building 
where they're saying to themselves, did we make a mistake? So this is really a prove it kind of year for Mel Tucker. He has to remind everyone what this program is about, who they are, or else it's going to be a very, very long next couple years, or it could be a next couple years that he just plain doesn't last. This Michigan State team is among the youngest in college football, if that's any consolation. There's going to be a lot of freshmen playing on this team. They've got a really solid All-Big Ten defensive standout in Jacoby Winmon at the linebacker spot. He should wreak havoc on offenses and have to lead the way for a very, very young unit. At number 12, I have Rutgers. And I say that with such an excited tone because this is really the first year since Rutgers initiation into the Big Ten, or at least in the last five years, that Rutgers hasn't been predicted to finish at the bottom of this conference. You look at this early season schedule, and this team has a real shot to be 3-0 and heading into their game against Michigan Week 4. Now, we all know what's going to happen there, but a 3-0 and start for a team like Rutgers, absolutely unheard of. And I really think this is a team that can find their stride and scratch out five or six wins if they just settle on a guy at quarterback. So I went to the Rutgers-Michigan game last year, and obviously I believe it was 52-17, a Michigan blowout. Rutgers was up 17-14 in that game at one point. And what happens? They switch out their quarterback. I remember Gavin Wimsatt was playing very well. They switch out their quarterbacks. They go to this three-man rotation, two pick sixes. Michigan pulls away, steals the game, and it ends up 52-17. to If Rutgers can just find a guy to settle on, and I presume it's going to be Gavin Wimsatt, despite the fact that he completed under 50% of his passes yet last year, if they could just settle on a guy, I'd be happy. I just think continuity and consistency can take this team such a long way. 13th and 14th is going to be Indiana and Northwestern. Not going to spend too much time talking about them, although it is crazy to think that during the COVID year, Indiana was a team competing for a Big Ten title. Michael Penix had the, he was the talk of the town, essentially. Now they tumbled down to 13th. Northwestern was going to be 14th regardless, but with all the recent controversy surrounding them, you know why they're there at 14. I don't expect much support coming for them this season. So that's going to do it for our Big Ten power rankings and our Big Ten preview as a whole, bringing this episode of the Student Section Podcast to a close. If you enjoyed the episode, as I said, remember to download the show, rate, review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite platforms. If you enjoy the show too, remember to subscribe to us on YouTube. Every single upload is going up to YouTube, video style content. And if you like the written stuff, we've got a blog at thestudentsection.net. Go ahead and visit us online there if you like reading articles, features, interviews, you name it. If you want to interact with these episodes, follow us on Instagram at studentsectioncfb. We post interactive college football content every single day. With all that being said, we are going to be back next week with the Big 12, I believe that it's time for in our preview schedule. I'll have to double check that. I believe it is, though. If not, it will be the Pac-12, but stay tuned for that. Another 40-minute conference preview in the books. And with all that being said, I'll see you guys soon.